Think of this morning of the resurrection, the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene, so central in many ways to this whole resurrection story here in John's gospel. In fact, you can find her in all of the gospels. She came from Magdala, a little fishing village in the shores of Galilee, just north of Tiberias uh, and south of Capernaum. Capernaum, of course, the town of Jesus. At least that's the time I visited it. They had a little plaque outside it, and it said the town of Jesus, the place where Simon Peter came from. And so only a few miles from Tiberias, only about five or six miles from Capernaum, this lady, Mary, Mary Magdalene, described in such a way because there were so many Marys, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary of Bethany, Mary, the mother of James and John, and other Marys as well, just a popular name, and so it's a distinguishing name. And what would it have been like for her to have grown up in that fishing village, that little place, and then to find in her life completely and utterly destroyed? We know very little about her background, although masses has been written about Mary Magdalene, but none of it from the Scriptures, basically because there's very little detail given to us outside of the accounts of the week about her. But the one thing we do know is that she was possessed by seven spirits or seven demons. Uh, to have been possessed by one demon would have been bad enough, but seven. She was surely a woman who then was finding life with anxiety, pressure, loneliness, separated from others. Possessed by these demons, something that we are, seem to be quite unaware of in the West in many ways. I know, I know I've worked with people from Africa telling me of those who have been possessed by such. A woman whose life must have seemed, people describe, they say, hell on earth. But for her, she was possessed by these demons and life must have seemed like that. And here she comes and Jesus, it says very little about it actually in the Scriptures, Jesus delivers her and she starts to follow him. It's quite an interesting fact to think about this this morning. Uh, in a Jewish court at the time of Christ, a woman would have very little sway as far as a witness goes. That's probably one of the main reasons that you actually look at the gospel stories and Mary is the first, and will remain so, the first to uh, ever see the risen Christ. It's not what you would normally write. You wouldn't write about a woman seeing Jesus first if you were wanting to really describe it or if you were wanting to fake it. But the truth of the matter is, the gospel writer here, John, writes about Mary Magdalene as the first to meet with the risen Christ Josh Medole is a, an author, and he grew up in America, small town. He talks about only about 1,800 people in this small town, about half the size of a hockle. And Josh Medole grew up with an alcoholic father who beat his mother. And his life was going through serious problems. As a young man, or as a child actually, he was abused by another man on a regular basis. 
And he talks quite openly at the age of 11 how what was life worth living? Somehow he managed to continue on and he went to university. And at university, Josh Madol finds himself seeing these people, about six students. He talks about a small group of students and a couple of professors. And he said they had something different about them. There just was something different about their lives that he could not explain. And one day, he was chatting with them, and one of the girls turns around to him after he asks her, what is it that's different about you? Why are you so different? And she turns around and says in two words the answer, Jesus Christ. Josh Medul himself was not a believer. In fact, he thought to himself, not Christianity. That's not what I want to hear. He was a law student, and he set out. He was actually uh, encouraged, challenged by these group of students to go and prove to himself that the Bible was false and that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, if that's what he wanted to do. And he set out on that journey and listened to his testimony, and he talks about going across Europe to many different places, researching and finding out and comes to the conclusion in his mind that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that the Bible is the Word of God. Absolutely true. His problem was, of course, he believed in his head but not in his heart. I wonder this morning as we sit here or maybe you're listening to this online this morning, maybe Maybe it's reached your head. Maybe all the years of teaching in Sunday school or wherever you've been, maybe the reading of the Scriptures, maybe in your head you're thinking to yourself, yes, I, I, I understand that. This is, this is the Bible, and this is God's Word, and, and this is Jesus, and He's real, and He did rise from the grave. But what does that mean to you personally? What does it mean to me personally? For Josh Madol, it meant actually he wrote a book. I'm not going to quote from the book, but it was called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And if you were in a court of law, um, one of the things, of course, that a court would do would look for evidence, detectives, police, uh, look for evidence, uh, where it's CCTV, but very often eyewitness account, finding someone else who was there to say, this happened. And so this morning, just to think for a moment or two, a little bit with very little time, but to think for a moment or two, just about some of the evidence that demands a verdict. Even in this early part of the, the story here in John's gospel, we find these three prominent people, uh, Peter, John, and Mary Magdalene. Three people who were with Jesus, three people who followed Jesus. It talks about actually Mary as one of those who provided for Jesus' ministry. And we, we find here those who knew him best were those who were to see him first. Evidence that clearly demands a verdict. And it's not only Peter and John that sees him, but he appears to the rest of the disciples. 
And we find in, in John's gospel here, as, we, as I look a little bit further on, uh, he, he appears even to Thomas one week later. Let me read to you from John 20, verse 24. It says, now Thomas, Thomas wasn't with them. And we call Thomas the doubting Thomas, of course, the one who, who was the skeptic. I actually like Thomas. There's no reason why he shouldn't ask these questions. He wanted to see for himself. Do you ever be in some situation in life and uh, people's talking to you about something? Maybe they've been somewhere. Maybe they've known someone or they're talking about someone. And you really wish you could get in in the conversation, but you can't because you weren't there. Maybe it's a football match somebody's been at. Maybe it's a whatever, a, a get-together of people. Maybe it's some other situation. But you weren't there. And there's almost this thing within you. You can't really be involved in the part of the conversation. You're almost a bit abstract from it because you weren't involved. Thomas was a bit like that. Thomas must have been starting to feel that he was separated from the rest of the disciples because he wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to them that evening. So a week later, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. This is John 20 and verse 25. And so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But unless he... But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas objecting, Thomas going, I cannot. I cannot fully even trust you. I need to see for myself. And eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Wonder what stage of life you're at yourself this morning. I wonder, has there been so much evidence of the Christ as you've read His Word? Maybe even evidence of changed lives. Those whose lives have been changed by the Christ Himself. People maybe you've worked with, people in your family, people you know. Oh, they're not perfect beings. And a Christian is not perfect but he's been changed day by day. He's not what he once was. And, and God is working in that life. And you've seen that change in that life. You've seen the life of someone who has spent their day swearing or cursing or whatever else. You've, and you've seen God take that life and, and turn it all around. But for yourself, you're still somewhere out there. You're still somewhere not yet trusting in Christ. Why? Why have you remained in that position? Why have you stayed outside? Christ calling us. Christ calling us to come unto Him, to come and believe. Verse 28, And Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God. One of the clearest declarations in the whole of Scripture of the deity of Christ 
Jesus was fully man, born of Mary, grew up just like the rest of us, but he was also fully God. There is none like him. I spend a lot of time with different people in life, and even this past week, <laughs> quite a discussion with one young man about the deity of Christ. How could you believe that he is the Son of God? Well, here is some of the evidence, startling evidence before us of the eyewitness accounts. And notice Jesus here doesn't rebuke, doesn't say to Thomas, don't say that. Jesus accepts the words, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Turn with me one wee moment uh, to 1 Corinthians 15, if you would. For we're looking for a, a, a moment at other evidence that demands a verdict. And Paul here in the Corinthian church writes this glorious chapter. And, and clearly you would miss your dinner if I start on this glorious chapter this morning. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 of the resurrection. And I'd really encourage you uh, today, the best thing you could do is go home and read it for yourself and study these 58 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. But I'm going to read just the first eight verses here at start. It says, now I would, Paul here writing to the church in Corinth, now I want to remind you, brothers, so he's writing to the church, he's writing to believers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand. And that's to the church. And by which you are being saved. Notice his, his, this ongoing process. You are saved. When you come to Christ, you're justified. Your sins are removed. But there's this constant uh, sanctification in our lives as we move forward with the Lord. If, which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, are you holding fast? Am I holding fast? Because it says, unless you believed in vain. Maybe you find yourself even here today or listening online, and at one time, the word of God meant so much to you, and Jesus meant so much to you. But the years have gone on. And he doesn't mean the same. There's been a, a slackening. And bit by bit, you've managed to walk away more and more. John MacArthur, talking about Mary Magdalene, writes these words. It is remarkable and sad, but true that most of Jesus' disciples, especially, and he's talking about now, in this postmodern age, constantly need to be coerced and coaxed, brought near to him. Uh, Mary, by contrast, did not want to let go. Why is it that in this postmodern world we coast constantly need to be coaxed, challenged, 
to bring us nearer to Jesus. When Mary, by contrast, did not want to let go. Have you let go of Jesus? I know he keeps us in the palm of his hand. I know that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But you know you can wander. You can wander into a world away from the Christ. And you can believe in vain. What was it all about? What was that profession about? What were those days when you you gloriously wanted to walk with the Lord, but now no longer? You used to love being with the people of God. I want to encourage you. Get amongst people who are on fire for God. One of the things that most encourages me has been with others who love the Lord. I'm probably more privileged than most spending time with missions and Christians and believers and missionaries and all sorts of people. But you too can meet with others. That's why it's good not to give up meeting together. That's why it's good to continue to focus, to be at the midweek, to to be at services, and even to be with other believers just at times. And to talk. To talk about the Lord. To talk about what He has done for you. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now notice this. The second big thing of the evidence is that the prophecies were fulfilled. Would not have time this morning to look at it. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. Go this morning and look at the hundreds of prophecies about the Christ how he fulfilled them. Even in John's uh, uh, chapter there, before we, we, we come to that part of the, the gospel, uh, uh, before the, the resurrection, it says in John 19 and 38, it says, for these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. One of those taken from the Psalms, one from Zechariah. Go back and look at how the evidence stacks up one after the other. And here, as Paul declares, in accordance with the Scriptures, and then they appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then they appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. That's about three times the number it's here this morning at least. Jesus appeared to some 500. At one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. In other words, some are dead, but the majority are alive. Go and speak to them. Go and talk to them. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Evidence that demands a verdict the love of Christ that demands our whole being. The God who would allow His Son to die on a cross. That little hymn it says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. That Calvary. That reminder this morning of the love of God 
the love of Jesus. People can't grasp it. Why would he die for you? Why would God allow his son to die? To be truthful, I can't work it out. All I can do is trust and believe. In fact, that's one of the reasons that John's book is written. The purpose statement, so important in each book of the Bible. Why was the book ever written? Why was John's gospel ever written? John 20 and verse 30 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So much written about him, but not even written in this book. So much did he do. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus came to bring life and life to the full. He came to take away our sins, but it wasn't just take away our sins and take us to heaven, to give us life with him to give us that oneness with Him, to walk with Him, to talk with Him along life's narrow way. A friend like no other. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. Do you know that today? Do you know Jesus walking with you closely? And finally, He speaks to us not only in saving us, and encouraging us to walk with him. But the passage here in John gives us the commission that God gives to us. John 20, and reading verse 21. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Think of those words as a believer today. Peace be with you. That peace from him. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We often turn to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, where it tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And though I will be with you, even unto the ends of the age. And this is the same theme here in John's gospel that we're sent as a believer today. And many of you have been so involved in church and Christian activities. God has sent you. God has used you. But maybe some of you are sitting here today and, and maybe, maybe we need that encouragement to continue. Just lovely during the week at a, a young, I work with a lot of young people and young fellow from another church, 19 years of age, sat with him, and, and my friend Pablo, the pair of us, sat with him a couple of weeks ago, and then he, he came along this last week to help us in the city mission. But just lovely to see that uh, zeal, that desire, that drive to serve his master, to serve his Savior. Have we lost a little bit maybe of that drive, that desire where has Jesus sent you? Or where is he sending you? Acts 1 and 8 talks about, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're to be his witnesses. We're to proclaim the Christ. doesn't mean we take a big Bible and thump someone in the head with it. But we want to tell people about Jesus. We want to spend time with others who need to know the gospel.
And we want to spend time in prayer as well. What about Isaiah? Here I am. Send me. What's your thoughts this morning on what Jesus is saying to you? There's over three billion people in this world today who have yet to really hear the gospel message. Right across North Africa, the Middle East, right across Western Asia, Central Asia, going right across to Japan and the East. Billions without Christ. Billions who have yet to hear. Would someone hear even would God be sending you? Would God be maybe not even sending you to those nations but wanting you to get more involved? Or maybe it's locally. Maybe it's here in Ahochel or Balamina, Northern Ireland, Ireland. Is God sending you to people to love them, to care for them, but most of all, to show them Christ and point them to Jesus? 1 Corinthians 15 in the very last verse, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not in vain. What he has called you to do and should that labor not produce much fruit? And I've certainly seen that at times in my own life. But you labor on for the master. Because in due season, he will bring about that fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a reminder this morning of your love for us. That you sent your only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we pray that God, even this message this morning, you would bless it. This is your message, that, Father, you would use it for your glory, and that even through it we would be drawn closer to Christ. Teach us, Lord, what we need to do. Show us how to use our days, all the days that you've given us. For, Father, you've given them for a purpose, not to while them away, but to use them for Christ and to know that our labor will not be in vain. In Jesus' name we pray.